This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Having assisted a wolf pack to rescue a trapped cub, Kier found a man hiding in the same cave. The man introduced himself as Bennard, the quartermaster of Four Rivers, who claimed that he had fled the settlement when the brigands had attacked. Whilst most of the party remained suspicious, they had no evidence to the contrary. However, Bennett had been bribed to work with the brigands to facilitate the sabotage at the mine, and now, with the outlaw Clem captured, he feared being exposed. In the night, Bennett assaulted Lena and murdered Clem before escaping into the darkness. Lena survived, and over the following days prayed for healing as the party continued their journey back to Halstone. But now, whilst making camp for the night, the companions face new peril. Chapter 17 Part 1 Day 22 Early Evening Party Status Beric 17 out of 17 hit points Lena 10 out of 10 hit points Kia 7 out of 7 hit points Valen 7 out of 7 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push and Shield the tension hung heavily as the companions huddled together in defence. Beric felt the familiar, sour sensation in his stomach that always came before a fight. To his right, Beric could hear Lena breathing fast. Without looking around, Beric knew the expression she wore on her face, but the cleric never let her shield drop from being locked against his. Behind her, Kier had an arrow knocked and ready, though both he and Valen, who stood behind Beric, crouched low behind the shield wall. A few feet away, the small campfire crackled and popped, and in the moonlit sky above the clearing, several bats darted about in search of insect prey. Somewhere in the distance, an owl hooted. Then, beyond the fire, on the other side of the clearing, there was a rustling, followed suddenly by the unmistakable hiss and whistle of an arrow flying. A second later, the missile hits the wagon to the left of Valen, its white fletchings vibrating with the impact. The companions doubled down in their defence, expecting more arrows to fly from their unseen enemy. None came. But then, a voice called out in the dark. That was a warning. Next time we won't miss. There was a pause. What do you want? Beric demanded. Show yourselves, or be you cowards who hide in the shadows. Watch your tongue. Came the voice again 
else I'll have mine to cut it out. Well now, this encounter hangs in the balance, and I think a reaction ball is warranted. Now I have previously said that I would use a simple charisma check for human and demi-human interactions. I do stand by this, at least in situations of charm and persuasion, where there is little or no threat of violence. But in this type of encounter, where violence is a very real possibility, I think a reaction roll is more appropriate. As both Kia and Lena get a plus one to their reaction rolls, I am going to apply this bonus. Okay, here is the roll on 2d6. An eight plus one. That indicates uncertainty and will require a second roll. Here it is. A seven plus one. Okay, let's see what happens. But before we do that, I am going to say that whilst the interchange takes place between Beric and the unseen enemy, Phelan will attempt to cast Shield. The mage needs to roll a 15 or less for his casting roll. A three. Beric's eyes narrowed as he scanned the tree line, searching for any sign of where their assailants were hiding. But in the dark, or with the smoke of the fire, it was impossible to tell. He knew things didn't look good. He had no idea how many enemies were concealed, and if there were several archers among them, then they would be sitting ducks. Throw down your weapons! The voice called out once again. And will they let you live? Over there, Lena said quietly, so only her companions could hear. To the left of that large oak. How can we trust you? Beric called out before saying quietly. I'll keep him talking. Kia, on my signal, shoot an arrow towards the voice. Valen, can you use your power to throw the fire in their direction? I believe so, Beric. You ain't got much choice. The man called out every taught. There was a cockiness in his voice, the bravado of a bully who has the upper hand. You need to give us more than that. We're no easy prey. We've fought and won many fights. And even if you kill us, some of you will die also. Beric called back. The big man looked to his right. Lena, when Keir and Valen act, we must charge. I know it's risky. But I'll wager these villains are cowards, and they'll run. I don't need to give you nothing. Though there was now some hesitation and doubt in the man's voice. Very well. I trust you, Beric. Beric adjusted the grip on his sword. Ready? Lena gave a small nod. Now! Entering combat. The reaction roll earlier suggested that these outlaws would simply leave, but this just didn't feel realistic given the advantages that they hold over the party. And logically, the characters would need to take some action in order to gain control of the situation. So it is they who are initiating the combat. However, given the reaction roll, and if the party pulls off their plan, I'm going to apply a minus two penalty to any morale check made. There are six outlaws in the undergrowth, and I'm going to let the dice decide which class they belong to. Odds, there'll be fighters, evens, rogues. Evens? Okay, so five of them will be second level rogues. And one, the leader, I am going to make him a third level rogue to make it more interesting. 
Once again, as there are multiple enemies, I'm going to give all the rogues the same hit points. Rolling 2d4. A 4. As they are rogues, I'm going to give them a plus 1 dexterity bonus, and with their leather armour, this gives them an armour class of 13, and they are armed with bows and short swords. Now to roll the leader's hit points on 3d4. 9. The leader is also wearing leather armour and carries a sword but no bow. Okay, I'm going to rule that the party are not surprised, as they are initiating the attack. But let's establish whether the outlaws are. A roll of 1 or 2 on a d6 mean they are surprised. A 6. Right, so on that basis I'm going to roll initiative. Round 1. The outlaws? A 3. The party? A 2. Oh, that's not good. It means the outlaws will shoot a volley of arrows just as the party break cover. The first outlaw shoots at... Beric. They will need to roll a 14 or more to hit the warrior. A 15. 4. 5 points of damage. The arrow thumps into Beric's thigh and the big man grunts in pain. The second outlaw shoots at... Valen. Good job Valen has cast his shield spell. This means the outlaw will need to roll a 16 or more. A 15. The arrow ricochets off the translucent barrier surrounding the mage. The third outlaw shoots at... Lena. They will need a 14 or more. A 5. The arrow flies wide of the mark. The fourth outlaw will target... It's Lena again. But with an 11, the arrow also misses the cleric. The fifth outlaw will shoot at... Phelan. They need a 16 or more to hit. A 17! Oof! Let's see how bad this is. One point of damage. The arrow scratches the mage's left arm before thudding into the wagon. Okay, let's see whether Beric's plan can pay off. Kier lets an arrow fly in the direction of the outlaws. Because he cannot see any target, I'm going to apply a minus four penalty to hit. Kier does, however, get a plus one to missile attacks, which will slightly offset the penalty meaning that Kier will need to roll a 16 or more. A 17! Four! Six points of damage! That is enough to kill the outlaw! Now, the BX rules state that if a mage is injured, they cannot cast a spell in the same round as their concentration is interrupted, but also that the spell is wiped from the mage's memory until it is next memorised. So on that basis, Valen has lost his action. Despite part of the plan failing, the party are committed, so Beric and Lena charge forward, shouting a war cry as they do so. I'm going to rule that they cannot attack this round given the distance. However, I am going to make a morale check for the outlaws, given that one of their number has been killed. Normally, the outlaws have a morale of 8, and as mentioned earlier, I was going to apply a minus 2 penalty. But given part of Beric's plan has failed, I'm going to reduce this penalty to minus 1, meaning that they will surrender or flee on a roll of 8 or more. Here is the roll on 2d6. An eight. That was close. Round two. Okay, I am going to make another initiative roll. If the outlaws win, they will escape into the forest. If the party win, I'm going to afford Beric and Lena the opportunity to capture some of them. Here are the rolls. The outlaws. A three. The party. A four. Okay, so I'm going to have Beric and Lena make an attack roll, and if they succeed, Instead of wounding the targets, they will incapacitate them. First, I'm going to check if either target is the leader. A roll of 6 on a d6 will mean that is the case. 
First Beric. A six, so yes. Okay, with his attack bonus, Beric needs to roll an 11 or more. A 17. The big man barrels into the outlaw, knocking him to the ground. Lena will need to roll a 13 or more to catch another of them. A 10. Lena can't quite reach the man before he disappears into the trees with his comrades. Having incapacitated the outlaw leader, he is gagged and his hands and feet bound before he is thrown into the wagon to be taken back to Halstone. Well, that plan didn't go quite as I had hoped, but all considering, the party were pretty lucky. But let us now look forward, because this episode is another milestone for our characters, as they all reach level 3. I can hardly believe it has come around so soon. So let's not waste any time and start with Beric. As a fighter, his hit points will increase by 1d8. As a reminder, hit point increases will min out at half. Here we go. A 6. So Beric's maximum hit points will rise to 23. Very respectable. Now for ability score increases. A roll of 6 on a d6 will mean that that attribute increases by 1. Here we go. Strength. 3. Intelligence. A 6. Beric's intelligence increases to 13. Perhaps this indicates Beric becoming more shrewd and cunning and a better tactician. He still can't read. Maybe Valen should teach him. On that note though, the BX rules state that characters with an intelligence of 9 or more are literate. But given Beric's backstory as a farmhand in a setting where literacy is not ubiquitous, it didn't feel thematic that he should be able to read. Not only that, but the rules state that characters with an intelligence of 13 or more should be able to speak an additional language. But again, my need for verisimilitude means that learning an additional language takes time and study, so unless it makes sense, as in the case of Valen who can speak both his native and the common tongue, I'm going to ignore this rule. Okay, let's continue with Beric's level up. Wisdom. A four. Dexterity. One. Constitution. A five. And charisma. A two. Well, I'm certainly not complaining about that level up. Now let's move on to Lena. Rolling a d6 for the cleric's hit points. A six? Wow! Lena's hit points increased to 16. That was a fantastic result. Will the dice gods give her any ability score increases? Let's find out. Strength. Four. Intelligence. One. Wisdom. Three. Dexterity. A six. Lena's dexterity rises to 10. No bonuses, but certainly not to be sniffed at. Constitution. Another six. What a stroke of luck. That raises Lena's constitution to 12. Again, that does not confer any bonuses. And finally, charisma. A one. In addition, as a third level cleric, Lena can now pray for two first level miracles each day. Well, that was an amazing level up for Lena. The gods have been smiling on her, and she has clearly grown as a person through all her ordeals. Okay, next up, Kia. Rolling 1d4 for hit points. A 3. Kia's hit points rise to 10. Now for ability score increases. Strength. 3. Intelligence. 1. 
Wisdom. Three. Dexterity. Three. Constitution. One. And finally, Charisma. Three. Well, that was a little disappointing, especially given the results for Beric and Lena. Although Keir will benefit from some modest increase to his thief skills. Okay, so finally let's level up Valen. Rolling a d4 for hit points. A 4! That takes Valen's hit points to 11. What a fantastic roll. Let's see if he'll get any ability score increases. Strength. 1. Intelligence. 6! That takes Valen's intelligence to 16. Now, according to the BX rules, this should mean that Valen can speak an additional language. Having just said that I will ignore this rule unless it makes sense, in Valen's case, I think it does. Given its closeness to his native tongue, I am going to rule that Valen now has a reasonable grasp of the ancient language of Pau and Mor, Morenish. In addition, because of my house rules for mages, this ability score increase means that Valen's skill in spellcasting has also improved. Okay, let's continue with his level up. Wisdom. Another six. Now this is a big one for Valen, because up until now, he has carried a penalty for some of his saving throws for having a low wisdom score. So Valen's wisdom has increased to nine. Now, I still think that he is ruled by his emotions, but I think this reflects the influence that Lena has had on him. I really love how the dice have just reinforced the themes I have been building in the narrative. Okay, next up is Dexterity. A two. Constitution. Three. And finally, Charisma. A one. Another great level up, but even more exciting for Valen is that he gets access to his first second level spell. Now, as with the first level spells I am using, I have created my own custom second level list, which includes a few homebrew spells. As with his previous spell acquisition, I rolled Valen's new spell off mic during the last episode, as I wanted to work some foreshadowing into the narrative. Valen's new spell is Soothe, one of my homebrews. The spell enables the caster to cause the target to fall into a deep, healing sleep for 8 hours. The target is impossible to wake, nor do they feel any pain, which could also allow surgery to be undertaken pain-free. Such is the restorative nature of the sleep, that upon waking, the target is restored by 1d6 hit points, on top of any natural healing. Now, I appreciate that some of you may balk at the idea of mages having access to healing spells, but in Legend of the Bones, some aspects of magic are associated with the old ways and beliefs. In some respects, you could draw some parallels with the druidic tradition of the Iron Age Britain, the legends of which spawn mage-like figures such as Merlin, Nimue, and Taliesin. But to be clear, not all mages draw power in this way, and those that do are definitely not druids, as described in Beckme or AD&D, which do not exist in my game. Although I may borrow some of the spells from that class at some point in the future. So with that done, let's make some rolls for day 23, which with any luck will be the final day of the journey back to Halstone. Firstly, both Beric and Valen recover one hit point through natural healing. Lena will also pray for Beric to be healed. Here is her prayer roll. A five. Beric is healed for... Three hit points. Weather. Fourteen. Overcast and temperate. Forging. Six. Nothing found. Stumble upon. Six again. Nothing. 
Wandering Encounters. A fall. Okay, let's get back to the story. Chapter 17, Part 2, Day 23, Morning, Party Status, Beric, 22 out of 23 hit points, Lena, 16 out of 16 hit points, Kia, 10 out of 10 hit points, Valen, 11 out of 11 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorized Push, Shield, and soothe. Lena can pray for one first level miracle. The sound of songbirds in the canopy heralded the dawn as Valen sat by the glowing embers of the small fire. The flames had long since died, for the mage had not attended it, his mind having been elsewhere. His had been the final watch, and Valen always took this time to study his spellbook and recommits the arcane words and gestures to memory. But this morning's meditations had brought something new. Ever since Lena had been assaulted, something had been growing in his mind. The burgeoning of new comprehension. It was not just that. There was something else. A recognition of new feelings. His power had always been born from emotional pain, fear, hate and anger. Amos helped him to harness it, shape it to his will, and channel it into the craft. But now, these new emotions came from a place of light, a place of hope, and that could fuel a different power, one that restored, gave life, and healed. And with this understanding, and with the acknowledgement of these feelings, new words had formed in his mind, and an enchantment was bound. A blackbird fluttered onto a nearby branch. It chirped and cocked its head to one side. Valen looked at the creature, and a rare smile spread upon his lips. Well, Amos, now I understand. The bird sang briefly as if in response, before flying away. Having completed his studies, the mage put some more wood on the fire, and stoked the embers until the flames were rekindled. He heated some water, and prepared an infusion of nettle leaves. Shortly, his companions began to rise. Lena performed her morning prayers, and afterwards they all broke their fast with the remaining bread and cheese. Both were hard and a little mouldy, and everyone longed for something more substantial. At least the aromatic infusion was hot, and this warmed them. The captured outlaw had not escaped in the night. He accepted the food that was offered, and when asked, he told them his name was Redwald, but otherwise the man remained silent. Soon the party were back on the road, and the knowledge that their journey would soon be at an end gave comfort to all, though there was no complacency among them. As Keir drove the wagon, Beric sat beside him, scanning the trees on either side of the road, alert to any possible danger. Whilst the outlaws had been driven away, he felt all too aware that they might be tracking them, after all, they had their leader. Redwald had not spoken since breaking camp. Beric thought the man was probably in his early thirties, though he looked older. Living in the wild no doubt took its toll on the body. He had brown hair streaked with grey, and pale grey eyes, 
which were cold and full of suspicion. Those eyes now rested upon the wrapped corpse of Clem. Is this how you treat your prisoners? He asked in a low, venomous voice. Beric turned in his seat to look back. What makes you think he was a prisoner? The big man replied. Redwald did not answer, and something in his eyes told Beric he knew he had revealed something. You knew him? It was not a question. Again, the outlaw remained silent. Have it your way. You can tell your secrets to the Reeve. The day wore on, and as it did so, Beric felt the threat of attack recede. They were only a few miles now from their destination, and rightly or wrongly, the companions began to relax. So, what's everyone looking forward to most when they get back to Alstone? The rogue asked. A mug of ale, Beric replied. And some hot food. A soft bed, Valen added. That all sounds good, but me, I'm looking forward to something else. The attention of the others was piqued. What is it, Kier? Lena asked. The rogue grinned. A bath. A nice hot bath. Earlier that day, rain accumulated in puddles in the courtyard as the priest walked briskly around the temple's cloister. His shoes were muddied, and his robe soiled with the stain of travel. He was weary. His journey to Dravance had been long and arduous. Ahead, two novitiates were speaking and giggling in hushed tones. Hearing his footsteps, the two women looked in his direction and fell silent. Both were young and pretty, and the priest couldn't help his eyes as they fell upon their robed forms. How the material clung to their breasts and hips. Involuntarily, he licked his lips. The women must have noticed his lingering gaze, for they both bowed their heads and hurried past in the opposite direction. Desperately, he tried to resist, but instead found himself looking backwards to catch a glimpse of their buttocks swaying as they walked. There was a stirring in his loins. He felt disgust at his own lechery. Tonight, I must scourge my flesh, he thought. He continued on turning a corner and walking along a corridor towards the clerical offices. Soon he arrived at a heavy oak door. A tall, mailed man stood on guard outside, his white tabard embroidered with the emblem of a blazing sun. The man said nothing, but looked at him expectantly. The priest pulled up his left sleeve. The man nodded and opened the door to let him through. The room, as expected, was sparsely furnished with a single cabinet up against one of the white rendered walls. Pale daylight gently illuminated the room from a small barred window on the opposite wall, and sat behind a desk in front of the window was a bald man. He too was mailed, and wore the same white tabard. He remained seated. Gilnut, you look weary, my old friend, the cleric said. Reynard, I have travelled far. I, I am discovered. That arrogant swine, Brannock, knows I am a member of the Brethren, I... Reynard held up her hand, then gestured for Kelnoth to be seated. I know this already. My spies at Castle Drevenid brought me word of your arrest. You have been careless, my old friend. It's not my fault, Reynard. There are outsiders, four of them, and the woman. 
Yes, yes, Reynard interrupted again. Fortunately for you, Lord Conwyn is no fool. To not command his re to release you would have brought him into conflict with the church, and subsequently with the king. As for these outsiders, I already know of them. I know their names, I know where they are, and I know there is a warlock among them. Yes, Kenoff said fervently. We must bring the vengeance of Solon upon them. Fear not, Kilnut. The matter is in hand. Reynard walked over to the cabinet, opened the door, and retrieved something. Do you remember when I came to Alstone? he said, turning back. Kelnoth could see that Reynard held an amulet in his hand. A gold amulet, with a diamond in the centre. Of course, it was glorious. Reynard returned to his seat. I did not come because you happened to have discovered a warlock. I came because you had discovered a particular warlock, Amos Ap Aon. I don't understand. Long have I sought the five keepers. Keepers? Mages, entrusted with the keeping of five jewels, handed down from master to apprentice for a thousand years. What jewels? Reynard held up the amulet for Kaelnoth to see. The jewels that were set in the crown were by Vortigern the Malign. The crown of Morgan. As Reynard spoke, there was fervor in his eyes. And this, this is one of them. Three I now have, and only two more remain. For what purpose do you seek them, Reynard? Surely no good can come of it. That jewel represents everything we stand against. It is a heretical artifact. Kernoth said that which he thought he should. But in his heart, he was beginning to be excited by the possibilities. No, you are wrong. I serve an higher plan, Kernot. One that will see the brethren wield absolute power. Imagine it. A land not ruled by kings, but a holy land. A land whose laws come from the teachings of Armand de Carasson. Kernoth was now hanging on every word. He thought of the woman, Lena. How? With power, he would make her crawl at his feet, serve his every command. How he would slake his lust upon her. Reynard continued, These jewels are the key to that plan. But the keeper of this one, Amos Apawan, did something to rob it of his power. Reynard held out the amulet for Kenoth to inspect. The priest took it in his hand. He was surprised by its weight and how cold it was. But if it has lost his power, then what use is it? Kernoth asked. Early good time, Reynard replied. The cleric got up and walked around behind Kernoth. For now, secrecy is paramount. Our agents must remain hidden until the time is right, lest our enemies should act against us. He leant over and took the amulet from Kernoth, then placed it around the neck of the priest. Kernoth was surprised, but he did not question it. Reynard put his left hand on Kelnoth's shoulder. But your foolishness, your indiscretion, all because you cannot control your lecherous urges. It threatens to unravel everything. And, my old friend, I cannot allow that to happen. The cleric reached inside his tabard. No, Reynard, you can rely on me. I will sacrifice everything. I am devoted to the cause, I... Suddenly, the cleric pulled back Kelnoth's head 
and in one swift motion drew a small knife across the priest's throat. Kernos' arms flailed wildly, his eyes wide with shock. He opened his mouth, but no sound came, as blood cascaded from the wound on his neck, over the amulet, and onto his robes, before his body fell back limply in the chair. Reynard removed the blood-stained amulet from Kernos' neck. It was hot, but not from the priest's blood. He looked down to the floor beneath the chair on which Kelnos' body was slumped, and with his boot wiped away the chalk of the faintly drawn pentacle. Yes, my old friend, I accept your sacrifice. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you enjoyed the show. As this was a slightly longer episode, I'll keep this brief. I'd like to thank this episode's voice talent. Returning to the show as Redwald is Jim Hurst. Jim, once again, I cannot thank you enough for your contribution to the show. If you would like to contact me, I am on the usual socials. On Twitter, at Legend Bones. Instagram, at Legend of the Bones. Mastodon, at Legend Bones. Email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. <laughs>